In this conversation today, we are reminded that COVID vaccines have greatly reduced the infection rate of the disease in this country and in our area. However, new variants that are more serious are spreading rapidly, especially among the non-vaccinated, and some still resist getting the vaccine. With that in mind, we're rerunning an interview we did with Jane Hillman, a COVID survivor. Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Jane Hillman. Jane Hillman is one of our neighbors in Emory, and I'm so pleased to be able to talk to her today because she has an experience that's going to be valuable to us all. She is a COVID survivor, actually not once, but twice, and spent time in the hospital and she's going to tell us her story. Thank you so much, Jane Hillman, for being with me. Good to, good to be alive and good to be here. Yes. In, in your case, that's something that is serious to say you survived. I want to start the conversation by going back over a year ago. It's early in the pandemic. It's March 2020. Things are starting to shut down. What were your thoughts at that time about COVID? How seriously did you take it? I took it very seriously. I I pretty much just stayed home, read books, did puzzles, didn't travel. I took it very seriously, and I told my friends from Winston-Salem I was probably the most socially isolated person that they knew. So I, I wore a mask everywhere I went and pretty much stopped traveling to see grandchildren. But then so, you got yes, it. Yes, I didn't get it until the following uh, December. So I made it almost a year without having gotten it, and the first time I got it, the case was very mild. I never ran a fever. I never had a cough. I had a little bit of sinus congestion, fatigue, and just in general, didn't feel well. That was most of the month of December, and it was so mild that I didn't even go for testing until January 4th when I wanted to go somewhere and thought I should probably have tested, and it came back positive right away. So it came back positive in January. You knew you were sick in December, but so you still had it in January? Or did well, you recover from the first time? So when I say that I had it most of December or had symptoms a lot in the month of December and tested positive in January, January 4th was, you know, just a few days later. And you can continue to test positive even after you are through having symptoms. So okay. that was case number one. Right. That's what I and wanted to be clear on. So case number one, you knew you got it. And the reason you got tested and found out was because you had to travel. Otherwise, you might not even been have been sure that you'd even had it. No. Did you have any pre-existing conditions, Jane? I guess you survived the first one. You didn't get that sick. You must have been pretty healthy. I was, and I was ecstatic that I had had a positive test without having a bad experience because I thought that meant my get out of jail card and I could start traveling to see my children and grandchildren again because I assumed I had great antibodies. Which is what we all expected that if you have had it, that you right. got antibodies and you'll have a level of protection. Okay. So we find out that those antibodies didn't hold. What was the beginning of round two? The first week in February, my daughter, who lives in Charlotte, called to say that her husband was showing symptoms of COVID. And because they live in a small apartment, I said, let me check with my doctor if he says it's okay. You all should be able to come to Emory for your forced 10 days out of school for your three kids. 
and that should all work out great. Called my primary care doctor. He said, yes, you should still have a good level of antibodies, just use precaution, which we did. They came to Emory, they stayed for 12 days. She tested positive three days after she got here. Then her dad tested positive three days later. And about three days later, I started showing symptoms again, which I couldn't believe, but right. it was true. And by the time she left on day 12, I was coughing and knew I needed to be tested again. Now, did she have her children with her? She did have her three children with her. And, and from day to day, different ones would show some mild symptoms, but they were never as sick as she was. And she wasn't that she just was very tired and just didn't feel great, but no other, no other major symptoms for her. But you did get her tested while she was here. She set off a test. So we knew that she was positive. And then she goes home and then you start coughing. So I got in touch with my primary care doctor again, and he said to be sure to take an antigen test because the antigen test shows if you have a current viral load versus maybe just some leftover from a time before. And uh, it came back positive. I went to Bristol for it. It's a quick test. They called me before I was even back in Emory to say that it was positive. Now, as soon as you test positive, the state health department puts us up, gives you a caseworker, and they start following you. So as soon as my caseworker called me, she said, the folks in Richmond are really interested in your case. It's so unusual that you would have gotten it again. They think that you probably have one of the variant strains. Excuse me, Jane, people may notice that the audio has changed a little bit here. We had some serious audio problems and had to uh, disconnect. But what we were talking about was that the Richmond Health Department was interested in your case. What was so interesting to them was not just that I had tested positive again, but it was the thought that it was probably one of the variant strains because I could pick up something that I hadn't had before. That was their thought. So while I was at the hospital for an emergency room visit, they actually called and just said, would you mind swinging by to have another COVID test today? And I said, I'm not swinging anywhere, but maybe they could do it here. So they asked to speak to one of the nurses and they came up with a plan that they would collect the sample there at Abingdon and the gal would drive down from Richmond to pick it up. So really? then- a daily waiting game to see what their test would show. Well, it put me in the extreme quarantine category while they waited, um, which meant that couldn't be around much of anybody because they didn't know exactly what I had. It, it took um, over three weeks to get those test results back. And no, it was not a variant strain. It was the same strain that I had had in December. So it sounds like you just hadn't really recovered. You didn't have very serious symptoms the first go round. What is your conclusion on that at this point? Um, they, they, they did not feel like I still had it, like it was one long case. They think I had it. And then because I don't have a great immune system, I just got it again, which now the, the, the issue now is 
now that I'm out of the hospital, what lengths do I need to go to to keep from getting it again? I do have some antibodies now because I had convalescent plasma when I was in the hospital. So I've got a little immunity for a while and I will see an immunologist next week and hopefully he'll be able to help me come up with a plan to stay safe until I can be vaccinated in May. You had stopped by the ER. When did that happen exactly? I, um, I think the 19th of February was my first ER visit. I had one the following Monday and Tuesday. And then I went almost a week at home trying to ride it out. They had given me an oxygen concentrator and some medicine. And I, I made it almost a week until the 28th of February, which was a Sunday morning. And when I woke up that day, I knew I was headed back to the hospital. So I was I had a long ER visit that day and then was admitted later that afternoon. So that's really interesting to me that you, you kept going to the ER, but they yeah. kept not admitting you. Yeah. In retrospect, do you think that was a mistake? Well, yes, because I got sicker and sicker. And by the time I finally was admitted, I was really sick. I wish in retrospect that they had maybe tried maybe the monoclonal antibodies or the remdesivir or some of the other options for early treatments. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to complain too much. I just wish that, um, wish that that had played out a little differently. February the 28th, after several visits to the ER, they finally take you in. You know, you're really, really sick. So I was sick by then. Did I, they put you in the ICU? What did you expect at that point? Well, I knew when I got there, my Temperature was 102.9, and they did some blood work that was very convincing to them that I was indeed very sick. I went to a regular full bore for the first few days, and then we uh, there was some discussion about moving me to another larger hospital, um, maybe to Winston-Salem, to um, Wake Forest Baptist. It turned out that there weren't many hospitals around that were taking in new patients, uh, so we decided to just stay put, but they did move me to a step-down unit of the ICU, which meant that I would get more attention, um, more nursing care. So I just moved within the hospital there, and I did get more frequent care. But because they were still concerned that it was one of the variant strains, I think it was, I, I was supposed to have them come in every four hours, but not more frequently. So I, I spent a lot of time in my room alone without nurses coming in. Do you feel like I'm going to beat this or do you just feel so sick that you just don't even know or don't even care? I mean, how, how bad was it at that point? Um, the doctor was very candid with me. He said either you will get better and you can go home or you won't. And I just, my eyes, I'm sure, got very wide. And I said, I have three children and six grandchildren I want more than anything to survive. And he told me about um, some of my blood work, one test in particular called D-dimer, which tests, I hope I get this right, which shows the body's tendency to make blood clots. I believe a normal range is 200 to 230, and mine was over 5,000. So he said, this is probably our best predictor of mortality 
in the hospital and this does not look promising. Oh my gosh, do you resent this doctor? That doesn't sound like good bedside manner. <laughs> well, I think he was very honest uh, and it did make me a little more tolerable of the two shots that I got every day in my belly, which were to prevent blood clots. So they were, everyone in the hospital was very, very nice and compassionate to me, which I really appreciated. And, and I don't know that I would have found that if I had been transferred to a bigger hospital. When I think back about it now, a lot of the experience seems more like a chapter in a book I read a good while ago. It has a very surreal quality to it. I know that I was very sick. I slept a lot. I talked in my sleep a lot. I could hear myself. I had crazy, crazy dreams and would wake up in just a panic, all tangled up in all of the different wires and bells and whistles that I was connected to. So Jane, were you on a ventilator? No, I was never on a ventilator. I was on a high flow rate with forced oxygen for a while, but I never required being on a ventilator. And I had seen that on the evening news often enough. You do not want that to be the last thing that you ever remember as somebody coming at you with a tube to put you on a ventilator. I'm very thankful that it did not come to that. And then at some point, there was a turning point because after a few weeks in the hospital, I moved down to Bristol Regional to um, their fifth floor, which is called Select Service Specialties, I believe. And it is more of a pulmonology focus. Um, and they had been have gotten a great reputation for helping COVID victims um, improve their respiratory needs. So I think I was there for about two weeks before I finally came home and I was in the hospital for a total of 25 days. When you went to Bristol, was that, you said they were good with COVID patients, but at that point, had you gotten so that you were some degree better, which is why they moved you? Yes, I was some degree better. I still couldn't breathe. I mean, when they would say, come in to check, listen to my chest and they'd say, take a deep breath. I would just laugh and say, there are none. I just felt like I was taking such a shallow little breath. Um, and I was on forced oxygen most of the time. Once I was able to move to Bristol, um, I went on this bypass cannula, um, which was a big step in getting better. Yeah, what is that? You're gonna have to explain that one to me. A bypass. So I have, a, I have an oxygen tank beside me and this, just the cannula that you see, Oh, the thing that's stuck in your nose that's yes. bringing the oxygen to you. Yes, and so that's not forced air or forced oxygen. That's just a bypass. It just makes a little, when I take it out, I just feel a little breeze from it. The the thing that you see lots of people walking around in stores and everything, and they have yes. what you're describing, that that's a bypass versus the forced oxygen when you're in the hospital. Does that mean it was a mask over your nose? I never had a CPAP mask, but it did have tubing bigger tubing and was much more forced. So it forced itself in as opposed yes. to what's happening yes. with you now. So you were in the Abingdon Hospital for, did you say three weeks? I think it was about two weeks and two weeks. Okay, two weeks and two weeks each, okay. Roughly. So when you were there in the step-down unit, was it mostly COVID people? I think that it was a lot of COVID 
but I don't think that that was all there was. So what did you see and what did you hear when you were in there? You couldn't have any visitors, right? No, I couldn't have visitors. And really, I was too sick. I don't even think that I wanted to have any visitors. Um, occasionally, you know, I could hear things going on in the hall. And, and I knew sometimes um, if they had lost a patient, I could just overhear some conversation. They certainly didn't talk to me about it or weren't supposed to talk to me about it. But And you're right there and you're aware that people around you are not surviving. But right. were you too sick to even process just how dire the circumstances were? I, I think I realized and I was and I was afraid. I thought maybe before all of this happened that if I were ever in such a situation that I would just have a faith that would carry me through and I would not be afraid. But that was not true. I was afraid. I was going to say, how could any human not be afraid? Right. When I would wake up in the night and I would be so disoriented with just crazy, crazy dreams, I'll, at the risk of everybody just thinking I'm nuts, which I probably am, I dream. I woke up one morning, it was about two or three in the morning, and I was just in a panic. In my dream, I was supposed to be providing refreshments for 200 women, and they were coming to a conference at 10 o'clock that morning. I was supposed to have all of the big coffee pots and the tea and everything ready. I was responsible for that. And I was telling my nurse all about it. And she could tell that I was just so disoriented. And they gave me something to calm me down. And I went back to sleep. But many nights were like that with just crazy, crazy dreams. And, and you and weren't able to communicate with your family? Or did they do the thing that we always heard about where the nurses would put up the Facebook uh, connection and have people talking? No, I had my cell phone and I was talking to my family every day. Some days better than others. I did refuse to FaceTime for a while because I really didn't want children or grandchildren to see me looking quite so rough because that was over a month without a shower. Well, did the nurses have to help you with your cell phone or could you manage that? I could do that. What were their reactions? I mean, they, I mean, you were, you were just on your own. If they can't come in more than every four hours, you know, I could call for them, but it would always take them a long time to get to me because they always had to stop and put on the full protective gear and then take it back off before they could go out. And for example, for a meal, everybody, all of their other patients had to be served first, and then they would bring me my meal so that they could reduce the chance of cross-contamination. And mostly what that meant was my food was always cold because it was <laughs> at the nurse's station. Sometimes I would call and say, I didn't get any lunch. Can you see if it's still out there? And they would say, oh, we're sorry. It accidentally was sent back. We'll get you another lunch. It was just a lot of solitary time in my room. I read a lot. Um, I read a lot. I'm surprised that you felt well enough to read. It was a necessary escape, and, and I did it really to force my mind not to dwell on the possibility of uh, an outcome that I didn't want. What does your family say now about that time? I, what, they must have been more terrified than you. I think it was a scary time for all of us. We're just all left with questions now. When is it safe to be together again, and what do we need to do to lessen my chances of getting it in the future. 
So you mentioned a moment ago that your immune system is now compromised, but is that you're saying that's because of the COVID experience? I think in the past that I have had some issues with my immune system, but now uh, he told me, my doctor told me before I left the hospital that if I got COVID again, I would not survive. I don't even know right now if I would survive with a bad cold or a stomach bug. I don't know that I would, but I have made good progress. I've been out of the hospital for five weeks. Initially, the first day I could barely walk from one room to the other. I can, with 50 feet of tubing now with my oxygen concentrator, I can move all around the house, but I still have to stop sometimes between rooms to rest. I still have to sit down on a stool to brush my teeth. I can't stand very long at the kitchen sink. It's been a real game changer. Well, when we were, when we changed audio systems, you actually had to leave the house you were in and go to another right. house, a wireless connection. And the time when I was talking to you about this conversation and about recording, and you said, I will, if I can, I might lose my breath. And that day you were coughing and having a hard time. Yes. But now you moved from one house to another and you're still able to talk and you sound fairly strong to me. And before we started today, I made sure that I had been sitting for about 15 minutes before we started. If I, if I got up now and tried to go up the steps or do put in a load of laundry or anything, I would have to sit for a few minutes before I would make a phone call because I would still get short of breath. What, uh, you know, I need to remind people, my gosh, that um, my guest today is Jane Hillman and she is a COVID survivor. She had it once and doctors think that she was fairly recovered from that and that got it again with the same strain and spent 25 days in the hospital. And so now is in the process of recovery. Did you lose your taste and smell? I sure did. And it wasn't just lost initially, it was an altered taste and it tasted very metallic. It could easily have been some of the strong medications that I was taking at the time. And that lasted maybe a week or so after I got out of the hospital and that was replaced with just a pure loss of taste. And that's and, still the case? Um, I, I have some sense of taste back and some sense of smell back. I hope it is coming back. Well, I know somebody who had a case of COVID and they were not hospitalized and they had their case in December and still don't have back uh, full smell. Is that what you call a long hauler? Do you expect this to get better or is this gonna be something that's gonna stick with you about the taste? Every question that I have posed to uh, doctors about that, they all have the same answer. We don't have the answers because COVID is so new. There's no playbook for this. And it seems to vary greatly from person to person. While some people have COVID really affecting their heart or their kidneys, mine was primarily my lungs. So it was the severe, severe acute respiratory syndrome. So, and they call it COVID lung, but I had pneumonia in both lungs. So it was just a matter of getting enough steroids and antibiotics in me to treat the pneumonia and then to try to treat the lungs. So just try to continue to let my lungs heal. That That's my main thing. Jane, I know that this conversation is very personal, but 
can you tell us about your family members? You said that your daughter was here and that she got sick and that her husband, they came to your house because they thought you were immune and that her husband was sick. Can you tell us about them, how they recovered? Yes, he, my, my son-in-law who stayed in Charlotte, he had a cough and he really felt bad for a week, but then he was fine. Of course, they are young at in early forties. Um, and my daughter just recovered well. Her children had some symptoms while they were here, but they all recovered well. I was just the exception. I don't know if it had to do with the prolonged exposure because they were at my house for 12 days, not, not the full 12 days, maybe nine days. They were at my house. It's just a, it's a, a mystery that you can get kind of bogged down in or you can just let it go, which is what I've chosen to do. It doesn't, it doesn't really change things. You know, I think I forgot to ask you, you said that you were very careful. You wore masks, you didn't go out, but you, despite all that, you got COVID. I did. first time, where did you get it? What do you, you have? And other, and other uh, COVID patients have said that they didn't go anywhere, that they stayed at home. They have no idea where it came from. I mean, I did go to the grocery. I wore a mask. I shopped during the senior shopping hours, but I got it anyway. So I, d I don't know the first time where I got it. Oh my goodness. Well, did you get to know other people? I know you probably got to know some nurses well. Did you get to know other patients in the hospital or were you isolated all the time? I was always isolated. Even when I just had regular COVID, I was still isolated. I did see when I was at the, uh, the select services there in Bristol, and was finally uh, promoted to where I could push a wheelchair and walk the distance of the hallway and back. If patients had their doors open, I could see into their rooms and I could see some people who were clearly very sick and they were not headed home anytime soon. So that was a very sobering experience for me too. And I was delighted when they finally came in one day and said, are you ready to talk about going home? Game changing day. I'll bet. And what a contrast. I think you had mentioned when we were doing our preliminary discussion about this interview that in that time when you were moving through the hallways, the things that you heard and the things that you saw. Yes. And the people that were just crying out, you know, for help. And, and you do cry out. And I did my share of that, that crying out or times that you would just cough and cough and you couldn't catch your breath. And, um, yeah, there were just some very scary times. And of, of course, the nurses would tell me about what it, what the last year had been like for them and how bad it had been the previous March and April and May, and that they were seeing things start to change. Well, what is your advice now? People are starting to get a vaccine. Some people are still resistant to the idea of getting a vaccine. Here you are sitting there still trying to recover and get back to normal. What do you want to say to people? I would just love to, every time I see on the news, a group of people that want certain things to be open or they don't want to have to wear masks or whatever, or for those who think that this is all a hoax and it's not a real thing, I, I would love for them to all have the experience of just going to the hospital to see some sick COVID patients. And I would like for people to know it doesn't end just because you get out of the hospital. Um, I was told that I would probably be on oxygen for months. 
that's not weeks, that's months. So my advice would be to follow all of the guidelines that we've had to be as socially distanced as you need to be, keep your hands washed, wear a mask, uh, to play it safe. And, and if you're not doing it for yourself, then do it for people like me who seem to be able to get it more than once or whom it could be really be a life-threatening situation. Well, this is a most powerful interview to hear your story, Jane. And I'm sure the listeners are as grateful as I am that you're willing to share your story. And I think you've summed it up pretty well. It's be safe or for the sake of others, if not for yourself. And I would say a quick thank you to everybody who uh, sent cards or letters or dropped off food, and mostly for those who prayed for me. I'm sure that that is what carried me through. Um, and it has just reminded me again of how wonderful it is to be alive. I'm very thankful. Jane Hillman, COVID survivor. We certainly wish you the best in your recovery. Thank you. You're listening to this conversation on WEHC 90.7. You can hear this program Wednesdays at 6 and Sundays at 2. You can go to the website, wehcfm.com, and you can find older shows and repeats there. We hope that this program today will encourage you, if you have not already been vaccinated, to please get your shots for your sake and for ours.